God is the only one we can, by faith, rely on to be always faithful. Instead of placing faith in our own resourcefulness, God invites us to trust in His unending resources. Welcome and thank you for joining us today for the Bread of Life. Our desire is to build you up in that faith that will trust God for everything. Now here's our Bible teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. John chapter 1 verse 9 calls Jesus Christ the true light that lights every person. He is the light that lights our own consciences. Most people don't enjoy their conscience, but it really is the one thing about them that secures their humanity. What raises the human creature above all of the creatures in the spiritual and moral realm is their conscience. But when humans will not be ruled by their conscience, they stoop to behavior that casts them to the bottom of that created order. A person commits an evil act, and commentators say that they're acting like a beast or an animal, but that's an insult to beasts and animals. No, they're being human, and as humans, they're disregarding their God-given conscience. You'll remember in the fairy tale of Pinocchio, he was a wooden boy that was granted life, and yet to become a real boy, what he needed was a conscience. And this conscience, this Christ-inflamed awareness of right and wrong, of good and evil, is a trait demonstrating that we have been made in the image of God. When we don't obey this conscience, well, we have nothing to tame the raging impulses of the unbridled and fallen nature within us. But when we listen to our conscience, the conscience works in such a way to tame it. It works in such a way to make our lives manageable and to make a livable space for us to live and dwell together. The only way in which we can live and dwell together as people in this community, in this city, is because Christ is still a light of conscience. It's why the only way that there's not chaos in all the world is because Christ still functions as a light of conscience to the human race and brings, in the fallen humanity, brings up as much as He can and as much as we are responding to Him, that light of conscience to tame our fallen spirits and natures. The same voice that spoke to the raging sea and the howling wind and all was quiet and calm and at peace is the voice that when obeyed in our lives takes us to a peace that the world ultimately cannot give us. Our first introductions to that voice was before we were ever Christians or followers of Jesus Christ or had ever heard His name. It was just listening to the hints of our own conscience. But when we come to Him and meet Him and surrender to Him and give our lives to Him, then we come to the one who is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who rules and regulates and governs our life as a light of conscience. At times, I know how it still is, you don't enjoy your conscience and you don't always enjoy the presence of Christ because He bears in upon the impulses of your sinful nature, but He also makes room for peace in your life. He makes the place which you realize the purpose of the humanity that He created you for. Now, let's go back to our text here. And let's look at these things in light of what we want to say now in light of what's just been said. We read again that He is the true light that was coming to his own. And what John tells us is that this light that is coming to the world is not just an idea, it's not just a power, it's not just a spiritual influence, because he says he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And now the light is no longer a concept or idea, it's a person. It says here, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. It's interesting, the Greek construction is like this. He came unto his own things, and his own ones received him not. 
The picture is the picture of a great master who is returning to a house that he has built. This person has made this house for himself and for his own good pleasure and for the enjoyment of his family and his loved ones. And he's filled this house with all the touches of his creative genius for his delight and for their delight as well. It is his house and it is because they are there and because of the things he has placed within it, it is his home. And he's been away and now he comes back to his house, his things, and to those ones that are in his house, his own family, living in that house, but they will not let him back in. They will not receive him. He has not only denied his house, his property, that he has created and that he has made, but he has denied his home, his domicile, his family, the place where he should live in domestic tranquility. So Christ was the creator of all things, and he came to his creation. He was also the light of domestic peace in all the world. He was the presence that helped establish some order, some tranquility that made the world livable. He came to those that he had uniquely lighted. And in this case, those who he had uniquely and wonderfully lighted were the people of Israel, his covenant people. But in every case, into all that he came, he did not find a home in his own house. The house that he had built, he found no home, no family, no peaceful place within them to live where he could reign as master and lord. What I want to do this morning is I want to share with you, I've mentioned it already, that this way in which men reject and turn away Christ is the same way in which they reject and turn away their conscience. And so I simply want to, it's not profound, I just want to look at two ways in which we abuse our conscience and at the same time, whether we know it or not, we are turning away Christ. We are turning away his approach to us, his drawing near to us and his work in our lives. You'll remember that Revelation 3.20, the Lord Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. And we want to use that verse, and we do, to share it with that individual who has never given their life to Jesus Christ, to let them know that Jesus Christ wants to claim the inner sanctuary of their soul and their being. He's died to forgive them of all their sins. He wants to come in their life and apply the blood of his shed sacrifice for their sins to their being and their life, and he wants to live and dwell and abide within them. And so we share that verse oftentimes with the unbelieving individual, but it's a passage of Scripture that was given in Revelation chapter 3 to the church in Laodicea. It was a word that was pronounced to those who already claimed fellowship with Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder that Christ is not only outside the door of the lost and unbelieving man or woman, but that Christ can be left outside the door of certain aspects in some room and some place within our inner heart and life, and that He wishes to claim His dominion in every part of our being, and He stands at the door, and He knocks. He comes there oftentimes in the soft, pressing, sharp whispers of our conscience. And so they're not the exact same thing, but they are correlated together closely. Let me share with you two ways in which we abuse our conscience and turn away Christ. The first one is we do it by turning aside from our conscience. And the telltale sign that we turn aside from our conscience is that we indulge ourselves with idle words. The telltale sign is vain jangling, lots of language, lots of words, lots of talk. Here, look at the passage. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside 
to idle talk. Here is this conscience that is given to them. They turn aside from their conscience and in exchange for it, they replace it with just conversation or talk about the very things that the conscience is pressing in upon them. Dr. Tozer reminds us, looking at this passage of Scripture, that a person can talk so much about a thing that you have to wonder whether they are not compensating for a lack of action on the very same subject. He suggests that an individual who publicly is constantly declaring many sweet things about their wife, that you should wonder what he says to his wife in private. Shakespeare, in Shakespeare's account of Hamlet, brings together one scene in which Hamlet is sitting with his mother at a play. They're watching a play in which one character is playing the part of the queen, and another character is playing a part of the king, and the character is playing the part of the queen is stating vows of tremendous ardor and love and passion and surrender to the king. And Hamlet turns to his mother and says, Madam, how like you this play? And his mother responds to Hamlet, Methinks the lady doth protest too much. And the word protest there means vows too much. In other words, basically what she's saying is this woman is putting it on so thick that she's portraying a heart that is not nearly so true. She's just saying it and speaking it. Another way of saying it is this. If you hear a preacher who is constantly railing against the evils of this age, you can almost be certain that that preacher is enamored with the age in which he lives in. He's caught up with it, his eye is on it. I don't want to grieve you with multiple illustrations of that, but life has proven it true. Those individuals that I've met and known and who've railed against certain things or brought certain judgment upon individuals because they've fallen into certain sins or... The individuals who shortly after reveal that they're the very things that they are struggling with themselves and they're just compensating with their lips. We turn away from our consciences with a lot of spiritual talk. This talk usually finds the popular and accepted notions of spirituality and the ways in which it's phrased and it captures and grabs those things, the accepted phraseology and spins them over and over and over again for everyone else to hear. And all the while, if you listen, it's a telltale sign that maybe this individual is turning away from their conscience. The whole of the Jewish world in Jesus' day loved the conversation of spiritual things. The debate was raging and all the individuals loved to get together and debate about what was the great overarching principle of the law. And the other question they asked was they liked to debate about what were all the particulars of the law and how should they follow them and what should they do. What's the unifying principle of the law? What are all the particulars that we have to follow? These were the things that they talked about. They talked much about morality. They talked much about virtue and all these types of things. They thought these words somehow could answer for their lack of action and for their guilty conscience. They made all these little things the issue, and yet there was in their lives one thing usually. By the way, when the Spirit probes our conscience, He doesn't usually hit us with all kinds of stuff. What He convicts you of is not always what He convicts me of. Just one thing. One thing he presses upon, Paul says for himself, it was the issue of coveting. That was the string that the Spirit plucked in his conscience about sin. They loved to debate all these things, but when Christ came, oh, they wanted to hear him speak as well. They loved to listen to his words, and they wanted to debate and talk to him about it. But their very language and their conversation was a stiff arm holding back the influence of his truth and his life pressing it upon their hearts. Thomas Jones, 
of Southwark was a Christian divine before the times of the revival that took place in the age of John Wesley and George Whitfield and also following it, but before those revivals were ushered into England, Jones is found lamenting the spiritual and moral decay and condition of the English society. It was a society that was collapsing but in moral ruin, but it wasn't collapsing because of a lack of conversation on topics of religion and morality. It was just the opposite. In fact, topics of religion and morality were in vogue at the very time in which the whole continent was under the siege of the darkness of compromise and sin. South Wark makes this observation. At that time, we have preached morality so long that we have hardly any morality left. And this moral preaching has made our people so very immoral that there are no lengths of wickedness that they are not afraid of running into. All the words, all the language. We turn aside from the conscience with words. We talk about its subjects, but we don't act to follow its leading. And so, we've passed through in the last 10 or 15 years the age of evangelicalism in North America. And during that time, there was a lot of talk about Jesus, a lot of singing in His name, a lot of gushing about Him, but not always a lot of following. In fact, methinks we protest too much. A talkative age, a spiritually talkative age, is oftentimes a sign of a group of people who are turning away from their conscience. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Bread of Life ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. There you can also contact us with requests for this or other messages. Please join us in our next broadcast. Until then, may God bless you.